0: Thanks for joining us for the bread of life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. What do you do when a storm suddenly comes upon your life? When it seems that you're sinking under the dark waters of situations that are beyond your control? Jesus has told us that tribulations will come. God lets them come. But what now? Sometimes it's hard to believe that the tribulation is up ahead of you because it feels like you're in the midst of it. You feel like you're being torn apart. In the world, you will have tribulation, Jesus said. But, this is remarkable, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Your trials, Jesus is saying, are temporary. They're squalls upon the sea. They come upon you, they seem to overwhelm you, but they do not at any moment repeal my victory. I've won on your behalf And I'll unfold that victory in due time. You rejoice and be of good cheer. So let me ask you a question here. Just think about it for a second. What has been your most recent trial? What is, maybe for you, your present tribulation? Your struggle, your pain, your hardship. What has God let happen? Oh, it has to happen that way. What has God let happen? And where has God seemed to have let you down or let some agent of suffering get through to you to antagonize you, tearing your world apart? Storms come. Storms come. God is still in control. You know what that means? God allows storms. God allows them. God actually says it has to be that way. He has a plan through all this somehow to glorify himself and in that storm to even, believe it or not, grace your life by reason of that storm. F.W. Borham is a wonderful thinker, notes that the storms of life that God allows to come upon us grant old people their most favored memories. You know, the storms that he allows to come upon our life. This is what he says, quote, safe home again, a sailor likes to recount his storms and a soldier his battles. Age enjoys the immense advantage of reviewing life's most harrowing and exciting experiences, knowing how each ended. Hours of agonizing suspense make up a pleasing recollection in view of the subsequent deliverance and triumph. We would put it this way. God is making your story better to tell when your trials are over and when the day of telling comes. But now, for now, it's just a storm. Here's a third observation. Observation number three. Most of the time... The thing that makes the storms particularly unbearable or upsetting is that God remains silent in the midst of them. That's the thing that upsets us. It's almost as like he's asleep and he doesn't care what's happening to us. So it seems. For the child of God, for the person who has received the Lord Jesus Christ and the moment that came in your life that joyful moment when you knew he came into your boat And you had him and he was living in you and you might remember the day a euphoric day feeling forgiven and cleansed and washed and Knowing that he was enthroned and abiding within you and yes No more religion, but a relationship with God himself abiding within you Oh, this is the Christian life This is what I was meant for. I was purposed to have God dwelling in me. Such fullness, such completeness, what an answer. And then a storm comes, and a trial and difficulty comes in your life, and you go to the one who has come within you, and he seems to be asleep. He doesn't respond. At that very moment, in that moment of distress, he doesn't answer you. And it's this thing particularly that's the trial of our faith. For the Christian, the trial of the faith is not the trial or the difficulty or the storm itself. It's the silence of God in the midst of the storm. It's that God doesn't give us an immediate answer. It's that He doesn't bring us immediate comfort. It's that He doesn't somehow surround us in that moment with a sense of His presence and His encouragement. That's the trial of our faith. So how do you overcome the trial of your faith? That's the question. So here's our observations, and then we'll go to an application, but here's our observations. The Lord, by faith, is in our boat. Trials and storms are inevitable, and God is still in control. And the real trial in our lives is that when they come, God so often remains silent, and we're overwhelmed, not just by the storm, but by His silence. This is the trial of faith. How do we overcome it? Let's go on and look at this passage again, and we'll find some lessons and applications for overcoming the trial of faith, the storm that hits us. For this in particular, I'm taking some observations that were made by Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book on spiritual depression. First, how do we overcome these storms? They're going to come, by the way. They're going to come. You might be in one right now. How do you overcome it? First, Christian, I speak to you you who have received Jesus Christ and have the Lord Jesus in your life, I speak to you and I tell you this. The Christian should never panic. The Christian should never panic. We should never lose our minds when we think we're about to lose our boats. When we think that whatever we've accumulated, what we've had and what we've gained and what we've desired and what we've longed for and where we're going and the journey we're on is somehow going to be scuttled and we're going to sink to the bottom of the sea. Whatever you think is happening, no how big the waves are, don't lose your mind. Don't lose your heads here. Keep thinking. Keep considering what's taking place. It seems to me that the most unchristian thing that we can do in the midst of a trial or a test of faith is to release ourselves to sheer emotion and despair and panic. Very unchristian. We didn't come to Christ in an emotional moment. We came to Christ in a thoughtful moment when we recognized that the compounding issues in our life would never be solved by ourselves. But there's one who had accomplished everything for us. And in a moment of clarity and understanding, we bowed our lives to Him and we gave ourselves to Him. And oh yes, there was emotion involved, but we thought our way through to that moment. We're to keep on thinking. We're to keep on understanding. We're to keep on knowing. We're not allowed. We're not allowed here to panic. If you start panicking, what you're doing is you're forgetting altogether who is with you. You're forgetting what it is that he's proven himself to be to you and to be in you and to be for you. You are in that panic, not simply bailing water out of your boat, but you're bailing out his promises. You're bailing out all the memories of the past blessings. You're bailing out all the lessons that he's taught you. You're bailing out all the words that he's given you. You're bailing out all the great works he's done for you, and you're just panicking. It works sometimes when your voice isn't working very well, right? I couldn't have planned that, by the way. (laughs) And you're losing your mind, and you're losing your heads. And what you need is your mind and your heads more than ever before. You need to recall who is with you, who's in you, what he's done for you, what he's promised you, who he's revealed himself to be to you, his character, his truth, his provision. You're going to remember it time and time and time again. Don't lose your wits example of somebody who kind of lost their wits in this way was John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in prison. It's very shortly before he is literally going to lose his head. Herod is going to take it. Maybe he has a premonition or a thought or he sees it coming. And so he sends his disciples to the Lord Jesus with a question. From the prison cell, speaking through his bars, go to Christ and ask him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Can you imagine John the Baptist is asking this question? This is the one who, when in his mother's womb, when Mary came to visit Elizabeth, leapt for joy because the Holy Spirit filled him in the presence of his Savior and Messiah. This is the one who baptized the Lord Jesus and as he was baptizing the Lord Jesus gave witness that at that very moment he had a vision and he saw the Holy Spirit come down upon the Lord Jesus like a dove resting upon his head and at that very moment he saw the clouds pull back and he heard the voice of God saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The very next day John saw the Lord Jesus by the shores of Jordan River and John the Baptist says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The one John came back to announce, he would have known the story of his parents. This takes place also, John would have known the things that the Lord Jesus was doing. But now, now in a moment in which all he had hoped for and dreamed about is about to fall apart and he himself is about to go before the knife, the sword, to be beheaded. Now he has, <laughs> he's got some doubts. Maybe, as he feels the shadow of death coming over him for a moment, he panics. He begins to wonder whether all that he saw and all that he heard had really happened at all. Was it my imagination? Did those things really take place? Can I trust what I've seen and what I've experienced and what I know? And The Lord Jesus responds to John's disciples in Matthew chapter 11. After they asked the question of him, verse 23, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Tell John this. Blessed is he who is not offended in me. Not scandalized because of the storms that I allow to come into their lives. You can almost hear the Lord Jesus saying to John right now, John, don't lose your mind. Don't panic. Don't doubt in the dark what you have believed and what I've revealed to you in the light. You trust. You trust. So there's the first one. Don't panic. Here's the second one. Jesus says this. This will help us. The second point of application is this. Jesus says, where is your faith? Really here the Lord is not suggesting that they don't have faith He's just suggesting that they're not traveling with it you know? He's not saying that they don't have faith Where is it is what he's asking Because somehow they've tucked it away somewhere And at the very moment when they should be pulling it out and using it they're not. They're not wearing it They're not putting it on Paul actually tells the Christian how it is that we are to deal with the attacks of the enemy and he gives some different suggestions to us but above everything else, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 16 that the one thing we're to do is to take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all of the fiery arrows of the enemy. You When you're In the midst of a trial, grab hold of your shield and pull it up and you have a shield and the shield is faith. And so this actually is the second lesson faith must be activated on our part. We have to take it up. That's it. Listen to this. There's the second. For the first one, don't lose your minds and the second one is activate your faith. Activate it. Thanks for joining us today at Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. If you'd like a copy of this message, just call us at 208-331-4096 That's 208 208- 331 3 4096 Until the next time, God bless you.